Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got an action-packed weekend of college football to hit on, and we've got a lot of news as well to touch on. But before we get to that, we're going to welcome in Eagles Assistant Director of Player Personnel, Ian Cunningham, to talk about the Eagles' Walter Payton Man of the Year candidate, Rodney McLeod. I know he just got hurt. And he's going to be out for the rest of the season this past weekend against the Saints. But we're going to talk about Rodney when he was coming out of the University of Virginia and projecting to the NFL the traits that allowed him to be successful once he reached the St. Louis Rams and obviously later the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll hit on that at the very top of the show in Scout Stories. After that, myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, we've got a bunch of Senior Bowl announcements to get through and our biggest takeaways from a huge weekend in college football. A lot of awesome, a lot of awesome games uh, to take in this weekend around the country. After that, we're going to go on the clock. Chris McPherson, he's going to join the show once again. And he's going to judge the debate between Ben, Dane, and I and the topic this week. Who is the most versatile defender in this draft? And we'll wrap it up with a question from you at home in our draft mailbag. It's going to be reactions to last week's live mock draft. Hope you guys all enjoyed that. If you missed it, make sure you go back, listen to last Monday's episode of the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA because we hit on all 32 teams. We did a full first-round mock draft with me, Dane, Ben, Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. We went around the horn and hit on every single team. So make sure you go check that out uh, earlier in the feed here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Before we get into the rest of the show, just a quick reminder, the best way to throw us your support, go into Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you leave us those reviews, that's the way to make this podcast more and more visible to everybody else that's looking for these draft podcasts. Because guess what? We're about to that time, right? We're getting closer to the end of the college football calendar, the end of the NFL season. Teams all around the league starting to have their eyes looking forward to the offseason, to the draft. So just do us a favor. You know, consider it a holiday gift uh, to us here uh, with Eagles Entertainment. Throw us a review over on our Apple Podcast page for the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. All right, let's keep things going. Let's get to our next segment. It's time for Scout Stories. Ian Cunningham on Rodney McLeod. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA uh, for our Scout Stories segment, is Eagles Assistant Director of Player Personnel, Ian Cunningham, to talk about safety, Rodney McLeod, uh, coming out of college and coming out of UVA. He was a he was a corner, I believe, right? So, so take us through uh, you know that projection and how you kind of viewed him in college and the transition he's made uh, so far in the NFL. You know, Rodney played a little bit of both. Uh, I've, I've known Rodney or known about Rodney for several years because after I left UVA, I think he came in a couple years after me, if not the year after me. Coaches continue, always raved about him, his football intelligence, uh, who he was as a person off the field, uh, his competes, his competitiveness, his toughness. The thing about Rodney was just he was an undersized player that didn't have that didn't fit all the measurables that you were looking for in terms of the numbers, right? But the football player on the field, you saw the flashes. It's just it was hard. It was a hard projection to say where is he going to fit? Is he an undersized corner? Is he undersized safety? Can he get bigger? Can he get uh, can he get faster? All those question marks, and that's really one of the reasons why he ended up going undrafted. But 
a lot of the players and a lot of the coaches at UVA raved about this player for all four, all four or five of his years at UVA. And I remember one coach who's no longer there, but he literally stood on the table for Rodney and said, I'm telling you, Ian, this guy's going to be a player in the league. And uh, look what Rodney's become, you know, a captain as a, as a rookie leading the league or leading his team and, and tackles on special teams at, at St. Louis. And then, uh, you know, eventually us getting them in Philadelphia. It's a tremendous player. So you've obviously been doing this a lot longer uh, and I, at a much higher level than me. I'm on, on the outside and kind of watching these guys. I feel like um, the way I'm starting to look at the positions like up the middle, especially like linebacker and safety, the intangibles part really can kind of offset any of those physical limitations. You get outside into space, you get a corner, a wide receiver. You know, those traits become, I feel like, more and more important. But you talked about like the competes and, uh, you know, the football intelligence and stuff like that with Rodney. Is that why you can see some of those guys that, you know, maybe were passed over, were undrafted, or they go late in the draft? Every year it seems like, yeah, these guys become three-down players in the NFL, and maybe they weren't expected to be that based off of, you know, what, what their pre-draft process looked like. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it comes down to all the things that you can't measure, right? You can't measure a person's heart. You can't measure a person's toughness and grit and what they're going to want to accomplish, their fortitude. But, you know, with Rodney, like, that's what he had. He had all those things that, that you know, we now look for. We uh, we try to put him through in the interview process to get to know the players and obviously all our sources that we that we talk to at the schools, but um, Rodney had all the things that you're looking for off the field in terms of he was going to make himself into the player that he is. And that's a testament to Rodney and what he's overcome and, and who he is as a person and as a man. Well, Ian, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Again, man, stay safe, stay healthy. Hope to see you soon. Hope to see you soon, friend. Talk to you soon. Awesome stuff there from Ian. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. And just a couple of big takeaways. Number one, um, I really stand by uh, that. My what I kind of said about like the, you look at the positions right up the middle, namely uh, quarterback, center, linebacker, safety. I feel like at those positions, you really need the football intelligence. Uh, you need the instincts to be extremely, extremely high. Those are the and also those are the guys that typically, especially when you get to center, you get to linebacker, you get to safety. Very often, you get to day three and you're going to find starters because those intangible qualities are the ones that help promote those guys into starting roles and then ultimately become longtime starters in the NFL. So I totally abide uh, by that theory, and I think Rodney is a great example of that. Um, you know, To me, I think when you look at the safety position, and we t- ironically enough, we talked about the safety spot last week with Ben on our Under the Hood segment on the most recent episode of the podcast and just talking about the traits that matter uh, at that position, that ability to come downhill and be able to finish in the alley and you know be a reliable player. You don't need to run 4-3 to do that. You don't need to jump 50 inches to do that. I think if you talk about a guy's ability to keen diagnose and just be a reliable tackler and be tough and be instinctive, uh, all that stuff uh, is you know uh, goes a long way to playing the safety position. I think Rodney uh, certainly represents that. And by the way, you know I mentioned at the top, but just an awesome honor for Rodney to be able to win uh, the Eagles' Walter Payton Man of the Year uh, nominee for the Eagles, one of 32 winners around the NFL. We'll see if he ultimately uh, wins the league-wide award here uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, just tough to be able to see him go down uh, with the injury um, this weekend. I mean, you know, non-contact knee injury. We know Rodney will come back uh, better than ever from that injury on the back end uh, after his rehab. One other thing uh, I think it's interesting to take away, Ian, just talking about uh, you know his his ties to the UVA program. And I think that's a really important note just to kind of keep in mind for you guys at home. Every one of these evaluators, all the scouts, all the, the player personnel executives, uh, going up to general managers, right, and head coaches as well, 
they all have relationships at all of these colleges, right? So whether they coached there before, whether they played there, uh, whether they you know, worked with people that were on that staff, a lot of times, whether it's in free agency, and we've talked about that on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I know I've had former NFL scout Dan Hatman on to talk about that. Or with the draft, it is a relationship business. It's just like when you or I apply for a job and you know, relationships matters, who do you know, right? It, it, all that stuff applies here as well. So if you, have, if you have a scout or if you have an executive that's got ties to a certain building, you're going to get potentially more information. And that might help a prospect. It might hurt a prospect. So uh, just being able to get that information, get even just a little bit more, can help give you a little bit of an edge. But uh, you know, Ian Cunningham close ties to that Virginia program, knew about Rodney McLeod. So uh, you know, when he was in Baltimore at the time, he was able to give those guys the, the down low on what Rodney McLeod uh, brought to the table. So just kind of an interesting t- takeaway, just to remember, remember that, file away well, when you're talking about uh, player fits and things like that. All that stuff matters uh, when you're talking about projecting guys to the NFL, especially if you're looking at mock drafts and team fits and stuff like that. Uh, certainly something to take away. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Ian. Thanks so much again for him joining the show. Uh, let's get to the rest of this, though. We've got a lot of players to cover. Let's get into it with Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, in Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, time for the next segment here of Saturday Scouting as I welcome in Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell. Guys, we have got a ton of players that we are going to hit on today's show. First of all, it's been a couple weeks since we've talked about some senior bowl acceptances, so let's buzz through some big names, right? We'll talk first about the running back position. We've got a couple Big-name players here to talk through. We're going to start things off. Virginia Tech's Khalil Herbert, a Kansas transfer. He is a guy that got a lot of buzz early in the season. I would say his production has tallied off a little bit, but I really like what I've seen from Herbert. I think he's got a, a skill set that reminds me a little bit of David Montgomery with that contact balance, that ability to make the first man miss. I think he can check a lot of the boxes in terms of third down, and he can carry the load for a long period of time as well. So I really like what I've seen in limited looks at Khalil Herbert so far at Virginia Tech. We'll get another look at him down in Mobile. But the next one, also from the ACC, as I welcome in Ben Fennell. Talk about your guy, Michael Carter, who, uh, as we talked about, uh, we're going to talk about a little bit later here on the show. Big, big week this past week for Michael Carter. But what are you expecting to see from him down at the Senior Bowl? Yeah, he's been one of my favorite players in college football the last two years and has done a lot to help himself in his senior campaign this year at North Carolina. Was a, uh, you know, 6A Mr. Football coming out of the state of Florida, you know, way back then. But he plays so much bigger than that 5'9", 195-pound frame suggests. He's powerful. He breaks tackles. He's got good speed in the open field. Runs really hard between the tackles. A little bit upside in the pass game as well. Really good hands. Can run an angle route. Even leak them down the seam a couple times this year. Reminds me of Ahmad Bradshaw. And just that type of, you know, do it all back that maybe doesn't have any huge, you know, redeeming, you know, explosive qualities, whether running or passing, but just a guy that I think is a B plus across the board. It's going to be a really good pro for somebody. Uh, we're going to get to now a couple of players from one from the SEC, one from the Big Ten. Dane, I'll let you kick things off here with Larry Roundtree from Missouri, a guy that I think all three of us uh, really like Larry Roundtree and what he can bring to the NFL. Yeah, and he, he's not an explosive player. Uh, I, I wish there were more big plays on his tape. Uh, yep. But you know exactly what you're getting with Roundtree. And that's the appeal with a player like this. He's a workhorse. He takes a beating and he keeps grinding. Uh, he's going to leave uh, the program number two all-time in rushing yards. And even though there might not be any special traits, the strengths to his game, which vision, footwork, toughness, 
they translate well. So we're not talking about a high ceiling back here, but we're talking about a guy that's just rock solid and, you know, could carve out uh, an eight year career in the NFL uh, without having a start just because he's a reliable back who can help round out a depth chart and just be a solid pro. I want to go back to you here, Dane, because uh, Trey Sermon from Ohio State, obviously he's playing up in your neck of the woods in Ohio, but uh, I know you've been watching him going back to his days at Oklahoma as well. Tell us about Trey Sermon because he will be heading down to Mobile. Yeah, and I don't think he's overly dynamic as an athlete. He runs a little tall. He's a bigger body, uh, but he's very smooth with his cuts and, and the way he sets up his moves. Uh, I love him as a pass catcher. Uh, he's so good in the screen game uh, after the catch. The vision, the patience is fantastic. He's got a little bit of burst to him uh, in the open field. So I'm eager to see him in pass protection uh, in Mobile because he's an interesting third-down prospect. And we know these running backs at the Senior Bowl, it's hard to you know for them to really shine as pure runners, but as blockers. That's where these running backs have a chance to make some, themselves some money during practice. So let's transition now to the receiver position. Amari Rogers from Clemson, I view as one of the highest floor players at the position in this class. I really like what Rogers has done throughout the course of his career. You may know the name. He came back from an ACL surgery in just a couple of months, really a few months. He tore it in spring ball of 2019. He returned to play. I believe it was early October or late September of last season uh, for Clemson. And you just look at Amari Rogers. He does all the things right off the field. Everybody in that program raves about this guy, but he also has the ability to win inside and out. He He's thickly built. He kind of reminds me of a Golden Tate-style player in terms of his yards after catch, his ability to win over the middle of the field. Not a game-breaker down the field, but he's turned into one of the best receivers uh, for that Clemson team for sure, catching passes from Trevor Lawrence. But he's been making an impact going back to his freshman season. Uh, Let's go. Let's stay at the receiver position. Ben, I'm going to come back to you. Tennessee's Josh Palmer. What can you tell us about uh, Josh Palmer? What is he going to bring to Mobile? Yeah, scout buddy of mine said, uh, just throw away the tape of this kid because throughout his career at Tennessee, had quarterback issues, was buried behind Marquez Calloway, Juwan Jennings for two years. He's got production over four years, but nothing dominant in any particular year. He's 6'2", 210, really athletic, explosive. Buddy of mine said he's going to blow up the way Donovan Peoples-Jones did in the offseason. Mm. He's going to be a really good tester. He looks long. You know, he's athletic. He's explosive. Uh, probably a, you know a late day three type of player, but go down to Mobile, win some one on ones, maybe high point a couple balls in the red zone, and that's what these All Star games are all about: showing what you really didn't have an opportunity to, uh, you know, on on the college field on Saturday. So really excited to see if Josh Palmer can maybe be one of the darlings of Mobile. I love that. Well, let's go over to our last receiver of the day, a North Jersey guy from Arizona State, Frank Darby. Dane, uh, tell us what Frank Darby is going to bring down to the Senior Bowl. One other thing on Palmer, Patrick Sertan has given up only one touchdown this year, and it was Josh Palmer. So it, there's a lot of talent there. I think Ben's absolutely right. Do you remember how that uh, went down? Was that like a high point or a back shoulder or something? Uh, it was in the corner of the end zone. Um, and so he just he beat him with a step, and uh, quarterback for uh, you know ha- broke the spell and actually threw a, a good pass to him in the corner. So, uh, I mean, he has the athleticism where he can stack uh, corners and uh, be a threat at every level. Uh, Arizona State wide receiver Frank Darby. You know, we talked about him over the summer as a guy that was ready to emerge, and it's just been a series of obstacles for him. Uh, Obviously, the pandemic and not starting the season until November, uh, but then he got hurt in the opener against USC. It was like a rib injury. Uh, He was back on the field this past weekend against UCLA, and he had a touchdown. Uh, But the Senior Bowl, I think, is going to be the opportunity for him to really revive some of that hype that he had around the league. Not going to be a first-rounder like Ayuk or Nikhil Harry, but he's a good-sized athlete, and I think he can make up some ground in mobile uh, because he, he's, he, he uh, 
uh, there, I don't think there's any one thing that you point to and say, well, this is why he won't make it. You know, he doesn't have that fatal flaw, uh, he, but he's a good size athlete and he, he can make plays down the field. So we're going to go over the tight end position now. We've got two guys. Ben, I'm going to hit on you for both. We'll start with the Florida State transfer, now a Georgia Bulldog, Trey McKitty. He was announced, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago for the Senior Bowl. Uh, what does Trey McKitty bring to the NFL? Yeah, he was a highly uh, coveted recruit coming at IMG. Went to Florida State. He's a good-looking kid at 6'5", 245. Just minimal production at Florida State. Comes over to Georgia. They don't really feature their tight ends in the offense either. Six for 108, three touchdowns this year. Bit of a red zone threat. Not really sure what he's going to bring uh, to the next level, but just like I mentioned about Josh Palmer, you know, show off what you what you weren't featured, you know, on the field on Saturday. So excited to see if he can bring any upside in the pass game. He's a good looking kid. I mean, he looks like Kellen Winslow. He can run. He's tall. He's long. He looks like he could be a pass game threat. Just you know, two teams that really don't feature the tight end position in Florida State and Georgia. So uh, talented kid. Just want to see him uh, get some opportunities. And then another guy, Ben, I know you were high on, and that's why I wanted to give him back to you. We're going to go back for the second tight end. Is Kylan Granson, the SMU kid, undersized, but I, I know you're a big fan. What is he going to bring to the NFL? Well, this is the other side of it. Now, this is a kid that's absolutely featured in his offense, Kylan Granson. More of a slot, big slot, H-back role. 2019, 700 yards receiving, nine touchdowns. Capped it off with another big year this year with over 500 yards and five touchdowns. Sharp route runner, vertical speed, strong hands. Offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley left, went to University of Miami to go coach Brevin Jordan out there, still kept up the production. So if uh, an Herb Smith can go in the second round and Josiah DeGuar goes in the third round, Kylan Granson's kind of right in that similar ballpark that, you know, maybe a certain type of offense will covet this role, but it won't be for everybody. He's not a true in-line wide tight end, but if somebody wants a gadgety H-back with some athleticism in the pass game, I can see Granson being a, an early day three type of guy. We've got a couple of Ohio State kids that we're going to talk about. We've already talked about uh, one with Trey Sermon. Let's talk about another as we go back to Dane for Thayer Mumford, the left tackle there for the Buckeyes. Dane, uh, tell us about Thayer Mumford. Mumford's the type of prospect who ju- he does just enough uh, to get the job done. Uh, it's tough to really love him as a prospect, but you know he's long, he's wide. I like how he can swing his hips so he can stay square to rushers. I- I'm just not sure he has the balance to hold up against NFL-level rushers. So we'll see if he can change the narrative at the Senior Bowl, if he can hold up during those one-on-ones. Another guy that I really wanted to make sure we talked about, going over the defensive side, Rashad Weaver. And we've talked about him a little bit here. Uh, We talk about Patrick Jones on the opposite side a lot. Rashad Weaver, really fun player. He is big. He's long. He's powerful. He can collapse the pocket. He sets a strong edge in the run game. There are a lot of people that are going to view Rashad Weaver as a relatively early starter in the NFL, and maybe while he kind of finds his way as a pass rusher, uh, you know he's going to come in and be able to play the run early. He missed all of the 2019 season due to an injury, but now back in 2020, very, very productive opposite Patrick Jones, uh, who we're still kind of waiting news on there uh, for the senior ball. But Weaver, really, really interesting player. So he will be heading down to Mobile. Let's stay along the defensive line. Ben, uh, you mentioned Teron Jackson, the defensive lineman for Coastal Carolina. When we talked about that CC and BYU matchup a couple weeks ago, uh, tell us what Teron Jackson uh, will bring to the senior ball because you were, you were kind of saying, you know what, I think he's going to end up in Mobile. And then literally that afternoon, it gets <laughs> right. announced that he got the invite. Uh, what do you think about Jackson overall? Well, he's leading college football in pressures right now, and that's not the conference. That's the entire college football at 54 QB pressure. He's got long arms. And just for a quick snapshot, every time I go to talk about him, I can't remember if I have him in the D-line category or the edge category. 
He's a bit of a hybrid body yeah. at 285, can play inside, outside. So that's really the snapshot of him. You know, a quarterback hunter that's with good size and can kind of play maybe inside, outside with some versatility. So uh, I think a really interesting player that, you know, uh, could be a guy that goes to Mobile and you realize he's not a, a dominant one-on-one pass rusher, or maybe he could give some, some tackles some trouble being a 285-pound end. I feel like there's a handful of guys already going to Mobile that have that same kind of body type. You don't know, and we'll see in person, are they DNs or are they D-tackles? I don't think he's NFL? a twitchy type. He's yeah. not looking to run around you, which uh, he might uh, have a couple of highlights and uh, embarrass a couple of people down there. Interesting. Well, there's something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, let's go to the Big 12. Dane, uh, Texas defensive tackle Taquan Graham, uh, I know has been seen as a riser by a lot of people so far this season. His teammate, Joseph Asai, has officially declared for the draft and opted out of the rest of the season. Uh, but tell us about Graham, his line mate there for the Longhorns. Yeah, and I think it's hard for defensive linemen at big schools like Texas to be underrated, but Graham, I, th- I think he's done that. He's had at least 12 tackles for loss each of the last two years. Uh, and he's just been a steady performer for the Longhorns. A little bit of a tweener. He's about 6'3", 295. Uh, but I like his body coordination, his movements. He definitely has fans around the league. So uh, glad that we'll get to see him down there in Mobile. Is he yeah. playing that Omenahu role or the Malcolm Roach role? They move him around. I mean, he because he they got a new defensive coordinator uh, this right. year, so he's playing a you know a lot inside the tackle, and they move him around, which I think you know helps him because he gets to show his versatility. All right. Well, let's uh, we're going to talk about versatility a little bit later in the show, but let's get to uh, another defensive tackle up from Dane's neck of the woods. They gave him another Ohio State player, uh, and that is the defensive tackle Jonathan Cooper. Dane, uh, I have not watched Cooper yet. Give us the, the snapshot into what he brings. When the Big Ten season was canceled, Cooper was the first player I thought about because he was banged up last year as a senior, and he purposely sat out the playoff game against Clemson so he can maintain his red shirt uh, and come back for one last uh, hurrah. Uh, and, you know, I'm glad he's been able to get back on the field. He, he's a hard-charging rusher off the edge. He uses that momentum to really just uh, to be a weapon. He'll create push. Uh, you know, he'll uh, break down the the outside shoulder of the tackle. He's a little wild with his rush plan, uh, but you love the energy. And he's also a captain. Uh, he's one of those guys that NFL coaches are really going to fall in love with uh, when they talk to him. So just an easy player to like, a solid day three prospect. So I'll talk about these next two Buckeyes here, Dane. And, I, and if I get anything wrong here, if I'm speaking out of school, uh, feel free to jump in. A uh, couple linebackers, Baron Browning, senior, heading down to the senior bowl, and also Tuff Borland, uh, a longtime playmaker uh, for that Ohio State defense. I think when you look at uh, at Baron Browning, he's 6'3", 240. This is just his first year as a starter. But I look at a guy who's a good athlete. He's got speed. He's got range to play sideline to sideline. He's been a productive blitzer over the course of his career. We just wanted to see him and playing as a full-time player. Had no ball disruptions on his in his career coming into the season in terms of being able to play in coverage. No PBUs, no interceptions. But with his athletic profile, I thought that he had the ability to man up on running backs, man up on tight ends at his size. He could be a whole player in the middle of the field. I thought he showed solid ability since he had diagnosed, again, for a guy who was really kind of a, a role player throughout the course of this of his first three seasons. It, it really intrigued to get him uh, under a microscope at Ohio State after really just being a one-year starter for the Buckeyes. And then you look at Tough Borland. He's kind of the opposite. He's the four-year starter. He played. He's been playing almost every down uh, for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Not every down, but he's been a nonstop player for them over the course of the last few years. 6'1", 234. 
He's a limited athlete. He's not the explosive guy that, that Browning is, um, but he's really instinctive. He reads the quarterback's eyes well uh, as an underneath zone defender. He plays, he's as uh, Ken Flagel, the Eagles linebackers coach, will say, he plays with high speed internet. He keys and diagnoses very, very fast. He's got the ability to attack blocks with good temperament and technique. He'll defeat a block, get downhill, and he's a good tackler as well. So I think when you look at uh, Browning and Borland, that's what th- those two guys bring to the table kind of uh you know just uh, complimentary skill sets from those two Buckeye linebackers we're waiting on one more here um from Pete Warner we'll see if he uh ultimately accepts his invitation uh we're from Ohio State we're all the way down to South Alabama Ben tell us about Riley Cole uh who will be playing in his home stadium uh down there in Mobile High-speed internet. This guy plays with dial-up, right, Fran? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm right. just kidding. But Riley Cole, 6'3", 230. He was an Alabama commit initially out of high school, but they wanted him to gray shirt, so he ended up uh, going to find some playing time at South Alabama. 6'3", 230. 32 reps of 225, 472, showed up on the free clips over the summer. Productive player. Fran, reminds me a lot of Drew Tranquil. Uh, coming out a couple years ago at Notre Dame, really athletic player who ran four five seven at 234 pounds. Special teams stalwart. Not sure uh, if he's you know going to be in line to start the next level, but a guy that definitely you want to fill out your linebacker room with. You know, a lot the way you know Alex Singleton's been playing for us with the Philadelphia Eagles. I like it. Well, let's go into the secondary now as we start to round this list out. Ben, I know you're a big fan of Washington's Elijah Molden, one of the top corners in this draft. Some people even view him as a safety, but we know he could play in the slot. Tell us about uh, your thoughts on Elijah Molden here. Yeah, you know, obviously I think uh, very highly of him. I mocked him in the first round to the New Orleans Saints uh, last week on our mock draft to the journey of the draft. I think he's the best nickel in college football. And that's a, you know, primary position in the NFL now and the way everybody plays sub package. He's tough in run support. He'll get off blocks and some perimeter actions and those receiver screens. It's a really tough player. Don't judge his size because at 5'10", 185 pounds soaking wet or whatever he is, he's a spark plug. He's a much tougher player than he looks. Uh, And if you need a nickel, you need a ball hawk, you need a playmaker in the defensive back room, go get yourself Elijah Molden. I don't necessarily agree with the safety projection. I think I want him uh, down there over number two. He's kind of a through-and-through slot, in my opinion. So one guy sharing that secondary uh, with uh, with Elijah Molden, Keith Taylor, uh, accepted his invitation as well to go down to Mobile. Six-foot-three corner with a 186-pound frame, so a little bit lean, but this is a guy that I think has got light feet and press. He's got the ability to get in phase early and stay in phase. He doesn't have that explosive speed you're looking for, but with his length, I think he's got the ability to disrupt the catch point. I know there are some out there that are really, really big fans of his. Um, you know, even just kind of watching that Washington secondary over the years, he's always kind of you know been a guy that has stood out to me. But a two-year starter for the Huskies has played both corner spots on the outside. Um, I'd like to see him just get a little bit better at the catch point. But uh, this is a guy with tools that I think some people are going to be really, really impressed with and have that ability to say, okay, this guy can project to the next level. So we talked about a couple watching Huskies. Let's talk about a trio of Georgia Bulldogs. And we'll start off with Dane, DJ Daniel. Tell us about DJ Daniel and what he brings to the NFL. This is one of the strangest evaluations uh, this past year because uh, I thought, you know, that Georgia uh, secondary is loaded, obviously. But based off the 2019 tape, I thought Daniel was the most consistent of the group. Uh, and then this year, he's just been overshadowed. Uh, you know, he, he's got one pass breakup, single-digit tackles, uh, you know, just struggling to see playing time, like uh, uh, just uh, lost in the depth chart. So I know before the season, talking about him with scouts, 
he had top 100 grades from around the league. So this is a, a really talented player who just we haven't seen a ton of this season. I, I'm eager to see him down in Mobile to see if he can kind of right the ship and say, hey, don't forget about me, guys. Another guy we got to talk about who's got a versatile skill set, Mark Webb from the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, it should be noted, he had played safety, at least from the film that I had seen. He is listed as a corner by the senior bowl. Ben, uh, give us your thoughts on Mark Webb and how you feel he projects the NFL. What do you expect to see from him at the senior bowl? Yeah, I thought the position designation was interesting because he really plays that hybrid star role uh, down there for Georgia, which is really more of a nickel outside linebacker role. He's versatile. He's tough. You see the special teams value. Actually, a Philly native as a four-star yep. receiver coming out of high school. So you love just the natural ball skills, not panicking when that ball's in the air. Reminded me of like a Corey Graham or Ibrahim Campbell coming out of Northwestern a couple of years ago. Just smart, instinctive player that could kind of do a number of things in the middle of the field. Yeah, go line them up at corner at the Senior Bowl. See if uh, those man coverage skills can come out the way they did for, you know, other guys, whether it's uh, Sean Davis out of Maryland or Demarius Randall coming at Arizona State that had a lot of kind of hybrid corner safety roles. Uh, at the end of the day, though, you know, another Georgia player you're going to talk about in a second, a couple of Georgia guys, a couple of Ohio State Buckeyes, a couple, couple of red you don't normally see down there in Mobile. So it's nice to see these veteran uh, players on the Buckeyes and the Georgia Bulldogs get, uh, making their way down there. I like that for sure. Well, let's go. Let's round out the, that Georgia trio with Richard LeCount, a three-year starter for the Bulldogs. I've watched him each of the past two seasons. Spends most of his time back off the line of scrimmage in the deep part of the field, but he'll come down. He'll line up over the tight end at times. He'll man up on the back. He'll line up in underneath zone. But this guy is known as a fierce hitter. He's a very physical player. He's not the biggest player, and, that, and the size does worry me a little bit. He's only 190 pounds at the safety spot, but he's, again. He is very physical, and he was the team uh, defensive most, in player, most improved player a year ago. Four picks, second in the SEC. He's got the ability to finish for big plays, but that size worries me. I'm a little worried. He does misstep at times on the back end, and he's not a super explosive athlete to make up for some of those missteps. But that being said, I thought a lot of the same things about Jordan Fuller, guys, a year ago out of Ohio State. I thought he was a limited athlete. I wasn't sure what he would ultimately bring to be a starter at the next level. Jordan Fuller goes in the sixth round of the draft. I feel good about it. I don't want to He's one of the most productive rookies uh, in the NFL this season. It started every game uh, for the LA Rams and that upstart defense. So uh, at the safety spot, as we talked about earlier in the show, you know, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I think LeCount has that kind of skill set where, you know, maybe it's not that he's not going to look the best in shorts and a t-shirt once we get to Indianapolis in the combine. Um, but the guy has got the ability to make plays downhill and on the football. So we'll see what Richard LeCount can do down there in Mobile. Uh, let's round it out at the safety position. We'll keep it going here uh, with a guy that I've been very high on when he is on the field for Florida State, and that's Hamza Nazardine. Has really, I think he's only played up to this point one game. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I think he played once, and then he did not play again after that. Um, but this guy is a bull in a china shop downhill. He can play from depth. He can run the alley. Explosive athlete. Eats up ground. Uh, he can finish on the ball. He'll line up in the box. He'll play some in the slot as well. But uh, really high upside player that I'm excited to just kind of see in person. And obviously the medical is going to be big for him after not really playing too much this year. But Nazardine, a really, really impressive physical specimen at the safety spot. Kind of the, I, I would say a little bit of the opposite of what LeCount is. But uh, let's go now to staying in the ACC, another safety. Dane, take us through Divine Diablo, one of the best names of any player in this draft. Yeah, and real quick on Nigel Dean, he he played a second game over oh, the did. weekend, okay. and he had an, he had an interception, uh, nine tackles, really showed out. So the, you you see him starting to get uh, more comfortable coming back from that injury, which is great to see. And also worth pointing out with Nigel Dean, he clarified after he accepted the Senior Bowl invite that he has not made a decision about whether he's going to come back to school or not. 
he just felt like, you know, senior bowl is prestigious and I want to accept that. I don't want to, uh, you know, hurt any feelings. So, but he did say he has not yet made a decision, which I thought was interesting uh, about uh, what he's going to do in 2021. Uh, with Divine Diablo, I, he's, you know, talk about bigger safeties like Nasrul Dean, that's Diablo. He's 6'3", 225. And I tell you what, I bet you when we go down to Mobile, we're going to see him take some reps at linebacker. Uh, because I think that's he's a box guy. He's a box safety. I think that's where he fits best. Uh, former wide receiver moved over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, a, a guy that you know he, he you watch him at times on tape, and he can you know the, the less space the better uh, where he has to cover ground. But you see some of the natural ball skills and coverage. You see uh, the length that he plays with. So I'm eager to see how he's used uh, during practices because I, I I think he might be a linebacker convert. I love that. Well, round us out here, Ben. Our last guy that we're going to cover, Pitts, Damar Hamlin. Uh, what does he bring? He was a, an East-West Shrine Bowl confirmation last year at this time. Ends up getting that extra year of eligibility. Goes back to Pitt. And what does he do? He upgrades. Now ends up at the Senior Bowl. Uh, what, do you th- what are your thoughts on Hamlin? Yeah, experienced player. Over 2,500 snaps played in his career with that six-year of eligibility. Former 170-pound corner coming out of Central Catholic out of high school. So he's got kind of the natural corner pedigree, but put on some weight and moved over to the safety position. Tough, tough player. Run support will come downhill and thump running backs. Really reminds me a lot of the things that Jalen Mills did at LSU. Being that back end kind of safety player, he was a little lean at safety, had the special teams value. You knew he was going to come up and hit you. You knew he was going to get off blocks. The question is, who can he cover? Can we trust him in man coverage against tight ends? Can he turn and run? Can he find the ball in the air? A lot of questions about, you know, where I'm going to play him next. But at the end of the day, Fran, he's a good football player. Mm. And I think that the uh, the floor is very high, safe, safe pick. All right, well, let's get into this weekend's actions, guys. We've already talked about a bunch of guys, but uh, our game balls, let's hand them out. To me, it's tough to not give a game ball to the two UNC running backs. Ben, you talked about Michael Carter earlier. We'll throw in the junior, Javante Williams. The two guys combined to rush for 544 yards against the Miami Hurricanes. That is an FBS record for yards gained by two players on the same team in one game. Uh, Williams scored for the 22nd time this year. That is a school record. And the the 554 yards rushing as a team was a team record, as you would imagine. The last time they broke 500, 1943. So you talk about just a historic performance in the first time that North Carolina and Miami both meet as ranked teams. And the, the, the heels just drubbed the, the Hurricanes. This one was not even close. Uh, those two guys, Carter and Williams, both made plays in space. You saw them both get to the sideline. You saw Williams breaking tackles and running through first contact the way that he's always been. You see Carter making plays out in space and getting to the edge and running away from people, how he has all season. These guys, I mean, it's, it's tough to say that they're not the best one-two punch in all of college football, and I think they put that on display this past week. Uh, Dane, who's your game ball? Uh, I don't know if we've talked about him yet on the show, which says something because we cover so many players, uh, but North Texas wide receiver Jalen Darden, uh, he became UNT's all-time leading receiver over the weekend, another big game uh, on the year, 74 catches, almost 1,200 yards receiving, and he's been a scoring threat in every single game he's played this year. Only two receivers at the FBS level have over 12 touchdowns. Devontae Smith has 15. Darden has 19. So as a prospect, very, very much uh, – he's undersized. Um, he's under 5'8". He's uh, 5'07 and 5", uh, 173 pounds. Uh, but he runs like the wind. Uh, he has foot quickness. He can make strong cuts away from trouble. Uh, in most years, this is a guy that would be tearing up the Shrine game, the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. But with those all-star games not 
uh, not happening this year, he has to hope that he gets a combine invite or maybe even a late invite up to the senior bowl. So the size, obviously a concern will kind of eliminate him from some consideration by some teams, but maybe he's this year's Jakeem Grant. Uh, I just want to make sure he gets more love because he deserves it. Love it. Uh, ben, who got your game ball here this week? Well, there's a point in college football uh, in October where Darden led the country in receptions, yards, touchdowns, 10-plus receptions, 20-plus, 30-plus, downfield <laughs> receptions. Mike Renner is going to be Starnell Mooney, which I love that comp, and I love that kind of trajectory uh, as far as getting drafted. But there's another player that was a darling of mine in the offseason. That's Troy linebacker Carlton Marshall. But 21 tackles, two and a half TFLs, a sack, a pick, and they're very close loss to Coastal Carolina. They lost 42-38. He's played 11 games in the Sun Belt this year. So, you know, while some conferences have been, obviously, their schedules decimated, Marshall has played a lot. And he's a 5'11", 230-pound kind of thumper and just tackling machine. I think he lacks a little bit of athleticism. But this is a see ball, get ball, and is always around the ball type of guy. So, put on the last, you know, month of tapes – you know, 15 tackles per game over the last five games, just absolute tackling machine, a uh, guy that we were looking, definitely looking at uh, coming into the season for his uh, prolific career coming into 2020. And it looks like he's uh, continuing that as a junior. I love that. Well, let's get guys to our one play takeaway and watching uh, the UCLA USC games, one of the best games of the weekend. Uh, one guy that really stood out, Tyler Vaughn's the wide receiver, a redshirt senior, six foot two, uh, 190 pounds for USC. Uh, this guy is really impressive with his stop start quickness, his ability to get in and out of breaks. He can beat the jam. I mean, ultimately, look, we're talking about a guy that I feel like is under underplayed right now, right? I know the production hasn't always been there, but in this game, he came up huge for the Trojans. He went up and over a guy for a touchdown to the back of the end zone, and then late in the game, when they needed it most, less than a minute left, they get the ball, they're down, UCLA has the lead, uh, Keaton Slovis throws the ball up down the right sideline, he goes up and over two defenders and comes down with the catch. So I think when you look at Tyler Vaughn, you know, that big catch, that helps set up the game-winning touchdown just seconds later to Amon Ross St. Brown. Tyler Vaughn, as a senior receiver for USC, not getting a lot of play, but this guy's got a skill set that I think applies to the NFL level. I've just kind of always viewed him as more of a small ball player, that ability to kind of separate in space and uh, make plays when he's when he's open. But Vaughn showed the ability to go up and play above the rim. Uh, was not quite expecting that uh, from Vaughn's from what are the from some of the film uh, that I've seen from him in the past. So uh, I thought that that was a lot of fun to see against UCLA. Ben, uh, who got your one play takeaway here this week? Yeah, I like Vaughn's. Reminds me a little bit of Josh Reynolds uh, a couple years ago. And also love a receiver that took some ballet classes in high school. Right. You definitely see the, the light feet and the uh, acrobatic plays on the ball. Let's stay with USC. I'm going to go the other side. Talanoa Hufanga. Four straight games with an interception. Two weeks ago against Utah, tipped one to himself, hurdled, hurdled an offensive player, almost had the pick six. Last week against UCLA, man coverage against Kyle Phillips, who's a 5'11", 170-pound slot receiver. Nice, you know, drive on the ball, an outbreaking throw, returned it for a touchdown that got negated because of a block in the back. But Hufanga's always around the ball. He's a playmaker. Just these medicals, you know, that he's had a series of injuries in his time at USC. Seems like every year he's had a major injury to sort through. Uh, just becomes a really tough projection in a very murky safety class, in my opinion. So the medicals with him, I think, are uh, very, very important because whenever he's on the field, 
This guy hits hard, makes tackles, makes plays on the ball. It's always around the football. And uh, his teammate, Isaiah Polamal, also had a pick last week. Hmm. Two of the more underrated safeties, in my opinion, not really being talked about. Yeah, I know, Dane, uh, you, you've talked a lot about Hufanga as well, uh, whether it's been here or over on The Athletic. Uh, who got your one-play takeaway this week? Uh, so I went with Devonte Smith. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy. Um, <laughs> it, it, look, I know it, it seems like we talk about it every week. I get it. Uh, but this isn't repetitive because I'm talking about something he did on Saturday that he's never done before. And that's return a punt for a touchdown. Yeah, right. So with, with Jalen Waddle out, Smith started returning punts and he's been electric. Uh, he had an 84 yard, uh, return for a score against Arkansas. And look, proving himself as a return man just only bolsters his case as a potential top 10 pick in this class. And hopefully it earns him a few more Heisman votes. Uh, you know, I know it's a, a quarterback award, but we're talking about the best player in college football. Uh, I mean, Devontae Smith certainly ha- has an argument here. So, you know, I, we talk about what he does on offense uh, every week, but I mean, what he did on special teams just added to the resume. Love it. Yeah, that was a, a big-time return for sure uh, on, the, on that play, going for six, going the other way. Uh, guys, let's talk about some future players. Let's go down the road. Who's our down-the-road freak shows this week? Ben, I'll let you kick things off here. Uh, who do you like this week? Really fast question to you guys out there. Elite wide receivers, do you care if they play special teams in college? You know, you got a guy like Devontae Smith out there punt gunning, has about 180 you know, special team snaps in his career. Jamar Chase? About 25. Rashad Bateman, you know, another dozen or two. Does that really matter to you guys in your projection in the next level? It's, you know, the more you can do, I guess. But because ideally, if you're taking a receiver top 10, top 15, you're not going to be asking him to play a high volume of snaps on special teams. uh, Unless you're Miami, you're drafting Ted Ginn top 10 overall. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think that's definitely a, for a fair point, but it's just one of those things where the more you can do, the more you you help yourself, because if, if you don't turn out to be that number one receiver, well, you can still help out the team and still have a role and, you know, still, you know, earn your paycheck. I think it ultimately comes down to how you're viewed and the role that you find at the next level. But the one thing that it does speak to, uh, especially when you're talking about punt gunning and stuff like that, is your competitiveness and your toughness. And that was one thing we talked about uh, with Henry Ruggs a year ago was like, hey, you know, you're drafting this guy in the top 15, not because he's a gunner or a jammer, or you're, dra- you're drafting him there because he's explosive as hell and he is tough as hell. And he shows that on his reps as a gunner. As a I player. love seeing Devonta as a punt gunner, as a senior receiver and the stud, you know, on the team, he's punt gunning as a senior, yep. the punt return touchdown who had the key block, Patrick Sertan, you know, he's going to be a top 10 corner. I think it's amazing that, <clears throat> excuse me, Alabama, that has all these young players dying to get on the field, that it's these elite veteran guys that say, you know what special teams, that's us too. But let's go with some down the road freak shows. Utah, another tough, stocky running back. True freshman, Ty Jordan. We'll say 5'7", 200 pounds, 147 yards versus Colorado. 145 of those after contact. And that was 167 the week before against Oregon State. He was a Texas district something offensive player of the year coming out of high school. He looks like Zach Moss in a more of a compact frame. He's 5'7", 200, rocked up, breaks tackles all over the place with home run speed. True freshman, though, just throw it away for later. 
Love it. I'm going to go with a, a true sophomore, also from the Pac-12. That's USC corner Chris Steele. Uh, longer kid. I think he's 6'1 in the 190 range. Had a couple pass breakups. Flash to me. Uh, has been under the microscope, I know, for USC because of some penalties over the last few weeks. But I thought he showed up on Saturday night. He was the guy on defense in that back seven um, outside of the two safeties that are draft eligible that I thought uh, kind of flashed a little bit in this game. Dame, uh, tell us about uh, your the one that transferred from Florida after like two months, I think. Right. Or something yes, weird. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. I went with Oklahoma tight end Austin Stogner, who uh, he's been out the last few weeks with an injury, uh, but I was studying uh, Oklahoma's tape earlier today, uh, a game from October, and he consistently stood out against, I think it was Texas Tech, uh, good-looking athlete, 6'6", 240, uh, runs the seam really well. I thought the best trait that he showed was the adjustment skills, flip his hips, extend his catch radius, make uh, these impressive grabs over defenders. So hopefully he comes back healthy, a true sophomore who uh, I think is a, a guy we need to keep on the radar for the future. All right, well, guys, let's uh, wrap this up with the guys that have stood out in the film room. Dane, I'll come to you first. As you said, you were uh, diving into the film room, the Oklahoma. Uh, who stood out to you on film this week? Well, go to Oklahoma State uh, and Tevin Jenkins, uh, the offensive tackle. He's a four-year starter uh, in Mike Gundy's offense, primarily at right tackle. But you you watch uh, enough tape and you see him, oh, he's at left tackle. Oh, he's at guard. Uh, he played everywhere except for center uh, over his time at Oklahoma State. And the, the coaches say uh, that his intelligence and the versatility uh, was a key part in uh, what made him so productive, uh, not allowing a sack at junior year or senior year. Uh, he understands leverage. He ties up rushers early, uh, works really hard to stay attached, even though it doesn't always look pretty. Uh, you know, he, he tends to lean into his blocks. He'll, he'll default to his power over technique, which creates some balance problems. But I'll tell you what, if he has a, a chance for the kill shot, uh, he will send defenders into tomorrow uh, once he gets that upper hand. So I, I think he needs to iron out some of the consistency issues, but he's competitive. He's uniquely powerful and he's got surprisingly light feet. Uh, for a guy that size. So I see Cam Robinson, uh, a, a guy that could be an NFL starter at tackle or guard and, and uh, you know, make an instant contribution once he's drafted. Love that. Uh, ben, uh, who do you like here for your film and recap this week? I'm going to go with one of these quarterbacks that seem like they're the uh, the day three guys that the NFL is doing a lot of work on, you know, whether it's Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati, Jamie Newman, Wake Forest, Georgia. But Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M, I think, is one of the more interesting quarterbacks in the class. Four-year starter. He was a dual threat quarterback coming out of IMG, highly coveted five-star. I actually think he's more of a pro-style quarterback now. Uh, in Texas A&M's offense. Very fundamentally sound, ball's always high, two hands on it, ready position, compact, quick throwing motion. He's pretty accurate in short intermediate windows, can throw over defensive linemen, will run when he's when he needs to. He's an athletic kid. He's dual threat coming out of high school, but he's a very willing pocket passer, will go through progressions. He's got the wheels. He had long runs against Alabama and LSU last year, ran right through those defenses against you know elite defenders of great speed. 2020, less scrambles, less sacks, less turnover-worthy plays. Really playing much more polished this year, much more accurate. Some of the issues, just doesn't push the ball down the field. The offense really doesn't throw the ball down the field, so you can't see him make some of those, uh, you know, uh, some of those more difficult throws, you know, dropping it in the bucket or maybe reading safeties and driving balls, you know, 20, 30 yards down the field. His timing and anticipation needs some work and get cleaned up. It's a lot of the same things I wrote down for Josh Dobbs coming out of Tennessee three, four years ago at this point. 
um, where he has a lot of things to like and a lot of tools and seems very fundamentally sound. This is a guy you take on day three and see if he has some upside to, uh, to develop. Um, he, I think it's some of his best stuffs in those RPO type of concepts. And uh, that's really what's taken over on Sundays. 6'3", 217. He's got good enough size. And I would go, tell anyone, go put on the Alabama tape last year against NFL talent all over the place. Made a lot of wow highlight throws. You know, occasionally he can get locked in and stare down some guys. Um, but the the execution, the throwing ability is, is very intriguing. And I think Kellen Mond uh, is right in there with Desmond Ritter, Jamie Newman as guys the NFL is doing a lot of work on to figure out. Hmm. Well, I'm just saying. Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry, real quick. He, he's so frustrating because you watch the LSU tape from this year and you're like, okay, well, this guy – uh, maybe he should even think about coming back because he's, you know, he's so inconsistent. But then you watch the Florida tape and you're like, oh, okay, this is why there's intrigue. This is why, you know, he was the top senior quarterback for a lot of teams coming into the year. So, yeah, I, I, the inconsistency is frustrating, but it's going to be fun to watch him, uh, the, you know, down there in Mobile to see if he can uh, maybe uh, sway some people because he's, he's, he's the type of quarterback that's hard to quit. You know, it's hard to love him and buy in, but he's also hard to just totally give up on. Yeah, and I've also heard one thing kind of working against him. He just has a bit of a quiet demeanor. He's a, not a big vocal leader, not a big rah-rah guy. So the Senior Bowl, that's a big opportunity for some of those more kind of quiet leaders to maybe be a little bit more vocal, a little louder in the huddle, you know, cheering on teammates and, you know, trying to work with receivers on coaching points, things like that. He's going to be one of those guys that they're definitely watching his mannerisms between the reps, uh, for lack of better words. So I'll stay in the state of Texas here for my player, and I'm also going to go to the senior class. Marquez Stevenson, the explosive receiver from the Houston Cougars. Uh, this guy is lightning in a bottle. He's had two surgeries in his career, but they were early on. And I think, you know, watching him, I thought, you know, how similar is he to Reggie Robertson from SMU? How, similarly, how similar is he to D. Eskridge from Western Michigan? He's also going to be down at the Senior Bowl. Amir Smith-Marset from Iowa. All these guys have burners. There's a lot of speed in this receiver class. But I look at Marquez Stevenson. Not only is this guy just absolutely legit uh, in terms of getting off the ball and flying downfield, but I want to get him the ball in his hands fast. I mean, he has got an extra gear, especially when he gets to the corner with the ball. He is awesome. He is so fun to watch. Um, you know, a guy, a guy that I think to me, watching him just a couple games over the course of the weekend, made some great diving catches, showed the ability to hold on to the ball through contact. I mentioned the yards after catch. Great kick returner as well throughout the course of his career. So uh, this is a player that I cannot wait to study more film on. Uh, I, again, whether he's getting the ball in his hands and turning that into a big play or making plays down the field, I think he's got that skill set uh, to be able to be a game breaker in the NFL. So uh, certainly a versatile player that we want to talk about, but we've got three more versatile guys that we're going to talk about in our very next segment. It's time to go on the clock. On the clock. All right, well, let's keep things going here as we talk about three more players. We've already talked about a boatload of picks so we're already here on the Journey to the Draft podcast as we welcome in Chris McPherson to once again be the uh, the judge and jury for this uh, segment of On the Clock. C-Mac, what do you think, man? Week 15. I'm upset that I wasn't brought on to uh, discuss the mock draft. You know, I could have judged the end result at the end of last week's show. You could have, but, you could have been the Mel Kuyper and just sat there and just, uh, made, you know, poked fun at every single one of our selections. Exactly. So, but uh, all in all, no, it was really insightful. Good. I, I think it was great because it's insightful analysis and it's before all the hype of like risers and fallers and what guys do in the combine and things of that nature. It's like you're talking strictly based on what you're seeing on tape. And if it's not this year's tape for some of the guys who have 
opt-outs last year's team. So the really, really good, really, really good listen, though. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Hope everybody out there enjoyed last week's mock draft episode as well. Uh, that being said, we've got somebody. We've got three more players to get to this week as we continue our stretch here of uh, debating players on a weekly basis. Now, uh, just to give fans a, a little bit of a reminder as to what the standings are uh, at this point, going back to a couple weeks ago, I've got five wins. Ben and Dane each have four wins. This is a tight, tight matchup. Anybody can win. It's ultimately going to come down to who can win these arguments over the next couple of weeks. And this week's topic, who is the most versatile defensive player? So we went defense only and a player that we felt was the most versatile. Ben has the number one pick. I have got the second pick. Dane will be the caboose. He will have the third pick. C-Mac, I will let you be the judge. Ben, I will let you kick things off. Who in your mind is the most versatile defensive player in this draft? And there's so many different directions we can go. I don't know yes. which players you guys have in the hole here, but does this mean an edge that can slide inside, a safety to play linebacker, a corner to play nickel? A lot of different kind of conversations here. But C-Mac, one of my favorite players in college football is linebacker Pete Werner from Ohio State University. This guy lines up all over the place in his four-year career. He's dabbled mostly at Will Linebacker and Mike Linebacker. He also go up on the line of scrimmage as a Sam Linebacker against tight ends and offensive tackles. Oh, yeah, he'll play half field like a safety as well. Oh, yeah, when a big tight end split outside the numbers, he's the guy that goes, match up, goes and matches up one-on-one outside the numbers and takes the coverage assignment. So he lines up all over the place. He'll walk out over the slot. And this is what allows Ohio State to play so much base defense because they have a linebacker that can do all of these defensive back roles and erase tight ends and coverage and slot receivers and still be a good run defender. Zone instincts are outstanding, athletic, tough, over 400 special team snaps in his career as well. Just really speaks to his versatility and athleticism, running downfield and open spaces. I know his name's Pete Warner, but reminds me a lot of Fred Warner coming out of BYU. And I know that's a very high comp for the way Fred Warner's played in his young career. But it's a similar type of player and a guy that has a lot of athleticism in the middle of the defense. Ben, let me ask you this. Does he have experience dropping back in coverage as well? You talked about he could be the matchup guy on the tight end, or is he someone who just comes down to the line of scrimmage? Yeah, he has turned and run. He's played a lot of safety roles, whether that's a true center field free safety at 6'3", 240 pounds, or even a half field safety role. He's turned and run. He's done a lot of stuff in retreat. I like him best in those intermediate zones where he can kind of read and react and use his short area quickness. Didn't love him in a lot of those man coverages against those tight ends outside the numbers. Good battles last year against Penn State's Pat Fryermuth. Didn't get those opportunities this year. That was Baron Browning. Uh, but he can do it. And that's what, uh, you know, it's kind of the essence of it is he can wear a lot of different hats for a defense. And I think any defensive coordinator would love to have this type of ball of clay in their room. Dane, you've been shaking your head this whole time. Uh, disagree with the pick? No, I know. I wouldn't say that. I, I think with Pete Werner, um, you know, if I would not feel comfortable leaving him on an, on an island with a receiver. And that's, I do think in zone, I think Ben hit him right. In zone, he does give you that versatility. He could drop back. Uh, a little rigid if you ask him to cover and man. I think that's the, the big hang-up there. But two Ohio State linebackers have both accepted their senior bowl invites. Werner has not. And I, I, I'm pretty confident saying he's received an invite. So it's just interesting that he has yet to 
accept his invite. So that'll be interesting to see if we uh, see him in mobile or not. And a lot of the zone uh, coverage assignments, his reroutes and jams are the best part. He is so violent. If he gets a little slot receiver, he's going to disrupt him and really get him off his stem and that he's got get his eyes back to the quarterback. But yeah, I completely agree with Dane. Probably won't be given a lot of man coverage assignments at the next level, but definitely an athletic body that could could cover some bigger tight ends and maybe some bigger slot receivers. Ben, I apologize if I missed this in your argument, but if, as he does he have experience attacking the quarterback, blitzing, coming off the edge in that that way? I wouldn't say. Uh, no, he's not pr- primarily used as a blitzer. He's used much more in coverage, but it is worth noting he had the lowest completion percentage allowed by any Power 5 linebacker last year. So his skill set is to be in space, to be a cover linebacker, and let some of those other you know Chase Youngs of the world go hunt quarterbacks. Uh, what what do you think is his best position at the next level? That's a great question. You know, I think it's going to be that Will linebacker, that run and chase role, a lot the way, you know, Fred Warner plays out there in San Francisco, a lot of coverage assignments, you know, covering backs and tight ends and those short zones and, you know, really disrupting uh, pass lanes. All right, good stuff there. Fran, on deck here. You ready to get in the batter's box? Yeah, let's get this. So, uh, to me, like, when we first started talking about what the, the debate would be, uh, I thought when we, when we settled in on this category that there were a handful of guys that you could really make the argument for being the most versatile. And I think we're going to hit on all on three of the top ones. So really, you can't go wrong here. But the guy that I'm going with would have been my first pick, and that is Tulsa linebacker Zaven Collins. He is a junior linebacker uh, playing in the American Athletic Conference, CMAC. Six foot four, 260 pounds. That's defensive end size. But this guy plays so often in space. In fact, if you go to Pro Football Focus, they're going to line him up 45 snaps off the edge, 328 spots across the board at all the different linebacker positions, and then 22 reps both in the slot. He's got reps out wide at corner. He's got reps at deep safety, C-Mac, at six foot four. 260 pounds. Then you turn on the film and you see a guy who is rangy. He's got outstanding sideline to sideline speed. He is a thumper downhill. He's really strong. He's got a bunch of sacks this year, plays in the red zone. He's he's turning the ball over, uh, interceptions, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, going back the other way. He's reached the end zone a couple of times. He is a stopper on the back end. And with his versatility, I think he's going to fit. And I can say this about a lot of the, all the guys we're talking about today. There are going to be a lot of defensive coordinators, especially from like that Bill Belichick scheme where they're going to change things up, not just on a weekly basis, what they're doing schematically, but on a series-by-series basis and say, man, Zayvon Collins, at any given point, he could be lined up head up on the tight end on the line of scrimmage. He could come off the edge as a blitzer. He can line up stack. He can move out in space with running backs. He's got the skill set to be able to do all of it. To me, Zayvon Collins is the most versatile defensive player in this draft. Where did he go in the mock draft? I, I do recall you guys discussing him there mid to late first round. I think, uh, I think Dane had him going to the Miami Dolphins, I believe, with that second pick, if I remember correctly. Yeah, great fit with Brian Flores there. Yep. That's kind of what, what I was envisioning there. Ben, you're kind of like chuckling, laughing, or you're choking on something. I don't know which is it, but uh, – Little, little over impressed. A little bit of all. Uh, well, you know, I think uh, when you go to the the versatility and uh, you know the the interchangeable usage, then you got to go right to third down. How these players are deployed on third down, that money down, and quite often Zayvon Collins is the blitzer, the sub rusher, the QB spy because I think he's a little limited in the things he can do on third down for teams. So he does that very well. But just like you asked me, what's you know what's Pete Warner doing on third down? Is he rushing? 
No, no, no. We we have too much other things to do. We got to cover players and play deep zones and pick off passes and, you know, get pass breakups. Saban Collins is kind of, you know what he's doing on third down. Good player, but does it speak to the versatility that he provides? It's a big question. Fran, I'm going to let you counter there. I've got a counter. I, I want to, I'm going to save mine for the end because I want to let, I want to see who Dane talks Ooh. about because I've got a little bit more data oh, in the chamber. just to see who Dane picks here. Uh, well, well, before we, before we go to Dane, I'll ask you this, Fran. Yes. Where, same as I asked Ben, where do you see him being projected to at the next level? I know Dane throughout, you know, the connection with Flores or, you know, the potential fit there with Flores in Miami. Where do you see him at the next level? You know, I feel like, look, you know, when you look at Zayvon Collins, I wrote down C-Mac because, you know, I'll write down as I'm writing notes. So, you know, it's just some players that he kind of reminds me of. This kind of speaks to the skill set. I wrote down eight different players. I wrote down three different kind of like strong side linebackers, like an Uncheno Nuosu, a Devon Kennard, who the Eagles will see this week against Arizona, Kyle Van Noy. So if you view him as, hey, he's going to only play in base, but he's going to stand up off the edge and do a lot of different things for us and potentially line up stacked inside, rush the passer at times. Maybe an Anthony Barr or Jamie Collins, where he is a true three-down player who can line up stack, he can come off the edge. That's kind of how I view Collins at the next level. And, you know, he can be used in a lot of different ways there. He might even be a playmaking Mike, a big physical thumper downhill. And I wrote down Bernardrick McKinney, Leighton Vander Esch, Zach Cunningham. He's built like those guys as well. So ultimately, if I had to say, I would say I best want him to be kind of like that Anthony Barr, Jamie Collins, kind of do everything Swiss Army knife inside. But Really, everybody's going to view him a little bit differently. It wouldn't shock me if some teams viewed him as a straight-up pass rusher, again, at six foot four, 260 pounds. I hope you're writing when you take notes. I don't know what else you'd be doing well, during you know. that time. So, <laughs> All right, Dane, are we saving the best for last in this one? That's it. We are. Uh, because I'm going with Notre Dame's Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. And if I had the first pick here, uh, this probably would have been my choice. Talking about versatility – this is what you want. And just throw in the Notre Dame tape. You'll see Elusu Koromoa do everything. He'll line up over the slot receiver. He'll be a box safety, edge rusher. Uh, he plays what Notre Dame calls a rover position, basically a nickel roll. Uh, so the ability to blitz, stop the run, cover, it's it's why he's considered a projected first-round pick. 6'2", 220 pounds. Uh, the athleticism, that's what sets him apart in this argument. The Notre Dame coaches say that it, when they saw him playing uh, basketball in high school, that's what really sold them because that athletic twitch for a player his size is so rare. And the coaches talk about how the versatility that he that that uh, he gives them on defense, it allows them to play loose because they don't have to worry about personnel and numbers uh, because they have an athletic chess piece like Awusu Koromoa who can play a different position on every snap. And Notre Dame's defense, arguably the best in the country. Awusu Koromoa leads the team in tackles. He leads them in tackles for loss. He leads them in forced fumbles. He leads them in recovered fumbles. And he's tied for the team lead in interceptions. That's versatility right there. And I, I bet you he might lead the nation in impact plays because he's got a bunch of those as well. So Pete Werner, Zayvon Collins, nice players. Awusu Koromoa is the only one of those three that would feel comfortable co- having cover on an island at NFL receiver Add that with his blitzing, his run-stopping skills, uh, the most versatile defender in the nation, that's Lucy Koromoa. I believe you had him going to the Raiders. You made the Mike Mayock connection there. On the perfect perfect fit with Mayock and Gruden and, and, and a team that desperately needs a defensive playmaker. I, I think he, he checks those boxes. Ben, uh, kind of slamming your guy there, Pete Warner there. 
Your thoughts? No, you know, it's tough to disagree. I think, you know, uh, JOK is a really interesting player. He's been, you know, uh, the darling of the draft season, uh, you know, going in a lot of first rounds. He's a versatile player. I think he's still a little raw and toolsy and trying to figure out, uh, you know, where to play him at the next level and what he really does best. Uh, I think he's right now still a little bit of a see ball, get ball kind of a raw player. But I think he uh, is a really interesting and probably has the best upside out of out of these three. So uh, definitely uh, everything Dane is saying is accurate. Brian, you're waiting to make a, a closing yeah. argument. You know, I was, you know, trying to tee it up for you before, but you wanted to kind of uh, – All I want – I just wanted to see who Dane was going to go with, make sure I collect some numbers. I wanted to make sure I just hammer this point home. Not Because all three of these guys – play all different kinds of roles. All three play stacked. They all play on the line. They all play in the slot, out wide, safety. But then you look, ultimately, C-Mac, when I look at Zayvon Collins, he is bigger than both those guys at 6'4", 260, all right, because Pete Werner's 6'3", 240. Jer- Jeremiah Wusukormo is 6'1", 220. All right, so he's doing these things at six foot four, 260 pounds. He's got more tackles than both those guys. He's got more interceptions than both combined over the last two years, right? He's got four picks. The other guys have two combined. And then you look at sacks. You look at TFLs. He is better than both uh, than uh, than Werner for sure in both categories. He's neck and neck with Owusu Koromoa in both categories. So to me, I'm looking at it from a production standpoint, a size standpoint. All these guys are versatile, uh, but what is it that sets them apart? To me, Collins has that unique skill set because of that combination of size and movement. Dane, uh, closing argument. I mean, I think that's that's nice that he's bigger, but I'll take the better athlete for a guy that's still pretty pretty good size at 6'1", 6'2", 220 pounds. Plus, I mean, Zayvon Collins plays in the AAC. And not to take anything away from him, but, you know, he, he's playing a lesser uh, conference in terms of competition where watch Awusu Koromoa against Clemson and the plays he was making in that game and man coverage, the forced fumble, the fumble recovery he had against ETN in the backfield, he returned for a down I think I'm doing it better competition and I think that counts. yeah the AAC Notre Dame we all wish was actually in a conference and you have Pete Warner over here in the fully established Big Ten <laughs> we know the quality players they pump out every year those are really just the facts of the situation all right this was a great one you know uh Ben, I'm going to say you're out off the off the bat here, Pete Warner. <laughs> you know, I, I, I want I want I want to get to the quarterback. Okay, this coverage stuff is nice and everything, you know, and you know, we can envision being that like safety linebacker hybrid. But I want I want a guy who attacks the quarterback, disrupts the passer a little bit here. So we'll put Pete Warner to the side. Uh, you know, Zayvon Collins or uh, JOK? Wow, this is tough because I, I like Fran's argument where you have the size. I like the uh, NFL comps there. You know, but Dane brings up some good points about the production, the athleticism there. I'm trying to think of just who is going to translate better to today's NFL. And, Dane, I'm going to give you this one. I'm going to go with JOK here. Like the athleticism, you know, the size is big enough for today's NFL. Um, but the impact plays that he makes, and he could do so many different things in that defense there. Uh, Dane, I'm going to give this one. This was tough. This was a really, really tough one. This is the one that I'm going to go to bed tonight and be like, you know, obviously outside of Pete Warner, the other two were, were a toss up for me. So <laughs> you mentioned but, uh, basketball and his eyes lit up. I should have talked about Pete Warner's high school sports and versatility. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no, not, it, like Fran said, this was, this, you know, there were like a short conversation or a short list of, of guys for this. And I think we hit them all. Uh, but in the end, I think you made definitely the right choice. So uh, w- well done, Seema. 
And I'm just glad that we've reached the point in the calendar year where C-Mac's going to be going to bed at night thinking about the most versatile players in the NFL draft. <laughs> that, that just makes me happy. Yeah. Welcome to the club, C-Mac. You have now joined uh, the rest of us. But, uh, guys, this was fun. This was actually one of the more spirited uh, debates that we've certainly had uh, so far this year. We'll talk to all of you guys next week. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, like I said at the top of the show, the best way to throw us your support is to go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, leave us a comment, leave us a rating, and it really just helps boost us up the rankings. I wanted to give a shout-out to a longtime listener, write him, who left a couple of comments about last week's mock draft. And as I mentioned, you can go back and re-listen to that. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, you can go listen. Myself, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel, Mike Renner. We talked about uh, all 32 teams. We did a whole first-round mock draft, even the teams that don't pick in the first round. We uh, attached some players uh, to those teams. But uh, right him had some comments, so we're going to talk about it here. Um, and I'll just kind of break it up as he goes. First thing I was surprised about, no Patrick Jones, the pit defense event. Yeah, I think when you look at Jones, look, he's been very productive over the course of his career. I think he's, re- he's really good against the run. He's fairly technical in terms of his ability to win at the top of the rush. But even just talking with people around the league, I think there are going to be questions about his overall athleticism. So it would not shock me if he is on the outside looking in when you get to the top 32 picks in the draft. So uh, we'll see ultimately uh, you know, how he tests. As I said earlier, he has not confirmed yet for the senior bowl, so we'll see if he goes down to Mobile. But I would not consider him at this point, honestly, uh, to be a first-round lock. That's just not how I view it. And uh, talking with people that I've talked to around the NFL, uh, you know, I feel like that has been a, uh, a resounding theme as well. So we'll see. Um, the next one, in addition to that, no defensive tackles in the mock draft taken at all. I would have thought at least one or two would have been taken. Well, I think that's a, a very interesting point. Um, I think when you look at who are the names, right? I feel like Marvin Wilson was plugged into the first round of mock drafts, uh, you know, religiously all through the spring and the summer, and that's kind of tapered off, right? And some of the concerns we talked about in the summer. What can he do against the quarterback? Can he consistently get home to the quarterback and disrupt? And I think that that's going to be a question with him. He is a good player. He is a dominant player at the point of attack. He's very, very good in the run game. And he can win at the top of the rush. He just doesn't have that juice. He doesn't have that explosiveness out of his stance to say, yeah, this is a guy that's going to affect down after down after down after down. And he a little he had a little bit of a down year this year as well. You have the injury to take into account. So, you know, that's with Marvin Wilson. Uh, you know, I think when you look around some of these other guys, you know, Jay Tufele hasn't really been at the forefront from USC. Uh, you look at Jalen Twyman from Pitt, a guy I really like, but uh, there are size questions with him. And does he have the play strength to hold up? So there are questions with all these guys. I really like a bunch of them. I really like Marvin Wilson. I really like Jay Tufele. I really like Jalen Twyman. There are a lot of guys that have that ability, but when you're talking about first-round defensive tackles, I think it's interesting that none of them ended up in the top 32. I think that's definitely possible uh, at the end of the day. And then he adds on, I found it interesting, only one safety taken as well. That was Trayvon Morig from t- uh, TCU, ended up, I believe, to the Baltimore Ravens. And yeah, I think those, honestly, if you're looking at what are the two positions that maybe aren't as deep uh, in this draft, or at least lacking that top-end talent, I think D-tackle and safety are the two that you're kind of talking about in in terms of the first round. Who are the guys that are going up at the top? Who is the cream of the crop there uh, at that position? Unless you consider uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa to be a safety, I think there's going to be some question about who is going to be at the top there. I would have thought that Hamza Nazardine, had he played a full season, he's only played a couple games here this year, but if he had played a full year, you know, maybe we're talking about him in that conversation. Maybe at the end of the day we still are if we get through the offseason and he proves that he can be healthy and, you know, uh, has a great senior bowl week and was 
was great is great at the combine and all that. But um, yeah, the safety position a little bit shallow as well on the on the you know when you're talking about the top end talent. Um, and then he continues here saying, not saying you guys are wrong or that you did a bad job or anything. I just found these results very interesting. And of course, I understand this is a mock draft focused solely on the best players suited for each team. Continued saying, as for the Eagles pick. I like the pick, of course. Don't know if I could easily turn away from adding someone like LSU receiver Jamar Chase uh, to help with Jalen Rager or whoever the starting quarterback is moving forward, especially when you could potentially add a Chaz Surratt or a Nick Bolton later in the draft. Now, that is obviously referring to the Eagles uh, taking Micah Parsons, the Penn State linebacker, uh, in the first round. That was Mike Renner's pick for the Eagles back last week. Yeah, I think when you look at Jamar Chase and you look at, at, Mike, or at, uh, at Micah Parsons or really any of these players that you're talking about in the top 10. Ultimately, it doesn't matter where you're picking in that area of the draft. You're looking for guys who are, who is going to be the impact player that's going to lift you from being from drafting in the top 10 to not drafting in the top 10. Who is going to help account for some of those wins? Who can make those plays to help turn the tide for you? Uh, and, and yeah, I, I think that there is an argument to be made about yeah a receiver at that position or a pass rusher at that position over an off-ball linebacker. I think it's a really valid argument, and it's, a, it's going to be an interesting one. But guess what? There is no discounting the talent of Micah Parsons because that guy is a freak show uh, at his size, with his athleticism, to play sideline to sideline. Really, really fun player to study and a, and a physical marvel. The Eagles are getting ready to play someone that is he's built a little bit differently, obviously. Um, but Isaiah Simmons this week in Arizona, he's really starting to kind of come into his own as well. So uh, kind of an interesting kind of parallel there uh, watching Isaiah Simmons. We have that conversation with Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa all the time as well. So uh, Wilt, really appreciate the five-star review once again. Thanks so much for your continued support of this show uh, here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. That being said, guys, that'll do it for this episode. We'll be back later this week to preview championship weekend in college football. It doesn't doesn't really feel like it. It's kind of weird, but uh, we've got championship games here this Saturday. We'll talk about it later this week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.